You know, kids of every generation have suffered the same malady growing up. No matter where we were raised, no matter what size of town we lived in, etc., at one point in our life, we all had that thing that we called moping. There's nothing to do. I would say in my case, it was especially true because we grew up in a rather small town and especially as a young man in high school, that feeling of there is nothing to do here hit pretty hard. And this is how lame we were, though. The four or five guys that I hung around with and that we got to spend all that time doing great nothings with every weekend. For excitement, we'd drive to Champaign, which is about 30 miles away from where we were born. And we hang out in that new and magical, that hip and cool place. We didn't use the word yet, but if it was there, we would probably say it was a groovy mall, but I'm not that old. But we'd go to the mall and we'd spend hours walking around music land that doesn't even exist anymore. And we look at cassettes and eight tracks that don't exist anymore. And we hit up Spencer's, which, yeah. And we'd check out all that cool junk that they brought in and sold to us. And we'd even, if we were brave enough, we'd walk into the food court and we'd sneak around and look at the girls that were working in the pretzel stands that we were petrified to actually go up and speak to. The one thing that we did was more stupid than all that, though. We had this thing where we would go into the middle of the food court or into the middle of the J.C. Penney's, and one by one, coming from different directions, I guess there'd be a flash mob today. It was pretty small. There's only three or four of us. But we'd just stand there and stare up. And one by one, my friends would come over, and they would also they'd look at me, and then they'd stare up. And the goal, of course, was to show off how cool we were, but also to see how many other people would come and join us and try to figure out what the heck are these guys looking at. I admit now, in the brilliance of hindsight, that I was a dweeb. I wondered, why couldn't I get a date? Fun times with me hanging out in high school, I tell you. And so, what do you think the first thing I thought of this week when we were preparing this homily for tonight? What were those apostles doing but standing in the middle of that food court, staring up at the sky? And I know that they had to have gathered a small crowd around them also, who also were then staring up in the sky, trying to figure out what was going on, seeing what they were missing out on. We know there was a crowd because... The gospel tells us that two angels, the readings tell us there's two angels came over and said to them, and I like to think they too stared up in the sky for just a second to see maybe we've missed something. But they said to them, men of Galilee, why are you standing here looking up at the sky? That would translate in today's English from the original Greek, it would translate into, bruh, what are you looking for? But what the angels are telling him is if you listen to everything that he just got done telling you, you know that it's time for you to get busy. You now have work to do. And it's kind of easy when we read the section to see that after spending over those three years with Jesus, witnessing his works, those miracles, learning from him directly, seeing him raised from the dead for crying out loud, the apostles might finally, once and for all, have started to understand what Jesus had been so hardly trying to teach them. What he said to him would simply be, look, I've done my part. 
Now it's time for you to get busy. And you notice that even Luke shows us that after Jesus ascends to heaven right in front of these guys, they still looked there, almost as if they were going to hedge their bet, feeling like that kid in class who thinks he knows the answer, but he's not brave enough to raise his hand. They weren't quite sure. So they waited there long enough to see if those heavenly armies were finally going to come riding out from heaven to conquer the Romans. And slowly, I think each one of them probably started to have it dawn upon them. Oh. They reached that almost visible point where everything that they had learned from the Christ started to sink in. And I love how Luke tells us then what happened in their lives. He said, they did him homage. They worshipped him. They hadn't done that before, but they worshipped this man finally, and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple praising God because now it clicked. Now they understood who they'd lived with for three years. And it's not difficult to understand that their immediate confusion, I suppose, because nothing about the Messiah had occurred as anyone for generations had expected it. Instead, this whole story unfolds in a very unexpected way. Jesus coming in the world as a helpless baby, which was something completely human to do. And it ends in a totally unexpected way again with Jesus leaving us from this world, riding on a cloud, which was a completely divine thing to do. And maybe only after standing there staring up the sky, contemplating how Jesus' life was this perfectly life booked end by the human and the divine. Now our friends, the apostles, finally get it. But it makes me wonder if many of us yet today are not still stuck in that field, standing in the middle of nowhere, staring up at the sky and waiting, desperately wanting to do something, yet not fully understanding what it is, how to achieve it. We're waiting on Jesus' return and we never really comprehend that, like those apostles at first, we're simply standing in the middle of the food court. We're doing nothing, our feet firmly rooted in the ground, embracing only the familiar and satisfied with the minimum, going nowhere. That's not the message Jesus left the apostles with. That's not the message he speaks to us. He wants us to move. He needs us to move. He needs us to get busy carrying that message out to all the nations, just as he assigned to the apostles. In the book of James, we're taught pretty plainly that it is never enough for us to stand around staring up at that sky. Full of faith, yes. Believing in everything Jesus taught, yes. Knowing he's going to return to us one day, yes. But not listening when he tells us, don't just stand there, do something. Get busy building this kingdom. This is the whole works and faith thing. Works plus faith, faith, that's our thing. And it's never been enough to simply believe. We can all believe, and I believe that we all do believe in Jesus Christ. But for his sake, for our sake, for our children's sake, we have to move from faith into action. It's so easy for us to sit back and convince ourselves that, well, yeah, you know, if I had the same power as those apostles, did, well, yeah, I could do great things then, but, you know, I'm just me. 
But when we read these scripture passages, we hear these scriptures, we need to substitute that you or me or us every time we hear the word apostle or disciple because that's what we are. Jesus then, if we listen that way, Jesus is telling us that we will be clothed with power from on high. We will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. We'll celebrate this coming power this next weekend when we mark Pentecost Sunday. In reality, though, we receive that exact same power from on high that's spoken about, first at our baptism and strengthened in our confirmation. We receive the same power, and with it we receive the same mandate of action. Jesus the Christ, though he's gone from our sight on this earth, he continues to work on this earth through us. His body ascended to heaven, and now his whole new earthly body, the church, is mandated to continue in his stead. We teach through the new apostles, the parents, the teachers, the preachers, the evangelists. We use the confessional where he commands us to take up our mat and walk. Your sins are forgiven. He feeds us with new manna, his very body, blood, soul, and divinity, freely given to us in the Eucharist. Jesus shows us that he is the one to come. He did conquer our greatest enemies. We were just thinking too small. We thought it was Rome. We expected to be freed from the Romans, yet he freed us from death itself. Something that makes us truly free, truly free to spread his message of love, to share in his eternal life. And to do so, we just need to get busy. Get busy building up the kingdom first in our family. Share prayer time with your family, your children, your spouse. Speak his holy name proudly to your children. Help them learn to love the church, to understand what happens at this altar. We build up the kingdom in this very church because every time we turn and we welcome the stranger, every time we become involved in one of the many ministries we offer here, Anytime we recognize and assist the new family, and this is a growing parish. We have registered so many new families in those last few months. Every time we do that, we're reaching out just as Christ would reach out and saying, come, follow me. It could be as simple as making sure you're signed up on the volunteer list next, for fun days next week. But whatever you can do, you do so knowing that the power you need you've already held from your baptism forward. You do so knowing that Jesus is counting on us, maybe now, these days, more than ever. We're supposed to be building his kingdom. So ask yourselves first, are you ready? Are you going to get busy? Or are you content to just stand in the middle of the food court and stare? <laughs>